Passion is not purpose. Passion is the vehicle that transports your purpose. The vehicle can change and often does. The purpose does not. Your purpose is not found in your pleasure. It's not found in your passion. It's actually found in your pain. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am excited beyond words to share with you today's guest, Dove Barron, twice cited as one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers to hire, also cited in the Meeting and Event Professionals Guide to the Top 100 Motivational Speakers, and named as one of the top 30 global leadership gurus, is here on the show to share his wisdom with us today. He is a best-selling author and host of the number one podcast for Fortune 500 listeners globally, Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show on iTunes, and is also carried on FM and radio stations across the U.S., Additionally, he has interviewed and worked with leaders and been featured on Oprah, Ellen, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, CBS, Huffington Post, Larry King, New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and many other top-rated media outlets, to name a few. Dove, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I'm honored and grateful to be here. I'm excited to share with you and with your fabulous audience. Well, this is going to be great. And you've been doing so many things. So what's very interesting about you, a lot of people will go down a path and they'll have these seminal moments and that will change everything for you. But what's interesting about you, and because I know a bit about you, is that you started down a path and then something happened that transformed your life. And then you just started doing something differently that that helped you shift what you were doing. So I want to kind of jump back to the beginning. And you've, you've accomplished so many things. Was this path for you, something that you kind of figured out when you were young? Did you Were you one of these kids who was born and just knew from day one you were going to be doing the things you were doing? Or was there some kind of transformational shift along the way? Uh, that, would, that would be really easy if I could answer it. <laughs> what I mean by that is if I could answer it with a simple, yeah, it was this and then it was that. It's not quite how it was. I mean, I was, what, I, what I knew when I was a kid was that I was a weirdo. Um, I knew that I didn't fit in. I was born in a in a ghetto in northern England where I was surrounded by alcohol, uh, addiction, violence, crime. And I certainly knew that I didn't fit in. Um, I think all kids feel a bit like an alien at some point, but I continued to feel like that and uh, and and left my 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 home base where I was originally born at twenty one years old and began to travel and study around the world. So I could study many different things. And then uh, in 84, became a speaker. Yes, all those 150 years ago, 35 years ago, became a speaker and did pretty well. Spoke all across Australia and northern U.S. and Canada. And then in 1990, uh, something 
happened. Uh, on that morning, I woke up feeling the usual levels of excitement and uh, power and authenticity and all those things. And I was an adrenaline junkie. So on that morning, uh, that afternoon, my friend and I decided to go climbing, free climbing, which for those of you who don't know, is uh, mountain climbing for the moderately insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's climbing without any ropes. Um, the only difference was on that particular day, I did so after being behind a waterfall, so I was soaking wet and about 120 feet up. I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down onto the boulders below where I was smashed to pieces. How far down did you fall? Did 12 stories. Wow. 120 feet. Wow. So needless to say, that, uh, that was a crash course in how to find your purpose. Crash being the operative word. <laughs> so that stopped everything in its place. And that was where my journey deviated. You know, very often people, and you, you know this, Richard, better than uh, most people, people see, you know, they see a psychologist or they see a therapist or they see a coach because something happened, i.e. the fell off a mountain. They got hit by a bus. They got a devastating diagnosis. They got a divorce. They went bankrupt. There was some major event. And people tend to think that that's where your life changes, but it isn't. Uh, it certainly isn't, wasn't for me. It's a place that's usually a place where we embed deeper into our own egos. And so when people would ask me how you're doing after I fell, I would respond with, I'm great, I'm coming back. Because I was a ghetto kid. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a martial artist. I'd been a leader for years. I'd owned businesses in different continents. I was not going to be knocked down. I was going to come back. But the truth was that was a lie. And I, I hadn't even faced that it was a lie. I was in massive depression. And I was in very, very dark, suicidal place. And it wasn't until later on that I realized that, like I said, the moment that we think transforms our life is merely a pivotal moment. Life only changes in, a, in what I call a choice point, which is further out. Before you hit that choice point, how long were you in that place of depression and, and self-despair? I would say probably a full 18 months. It was about nine months before I owned it. So I was in it for the first nine and just was in complete, total denial. And the next nine was um, birthing myself uh, from very darkness. I mean, you know, as Joseph Campbell said, the, the treasure for which you seek is hidden in the dark cave for which you fear to enter. And that was the dark cave. That second nine months, I had to really look into the darkest possible places of myself and face the things that I didn't want to see. Uh, but that was, you know, you know, people go, well, was that the transformational point? No, that was the, see, so you got the, you got a pivotal moment to fall off a mountain. You got the choice point, which is where I make the decision. I, I come out of denial and I go, okay, I've got to find my purpose. But then there's another nine months. It's not like, oh, snap, next. No, so it's like, there's another nine months of like, okay, daily facing the grind of this, being with my face being pushed against the wheel of life, trying to get to the diamond that is underneath that is hardcore. So it was a very, very, very challenging deal. A lot of what you're saying resonates with me very powerfully because of my own experience with my accident. Mm. 
talk to us a little bit, you know, as you're on this journey in, in the nine months and the way you described it was so apt that you were you know, really facing against the grind of the wheel of life. Were there other things that helped you pull out of that? Any people in your life, any specific learning experiences that helped you kind of reshape that purpose and start doing what you're doing now? Like I said, the uh, the first part of it was total denial. And there was lots of people trying to help me. I just was blocking them out. It, like I said, it I knew for the strength of my own character that I needed something to make it real. So f- what happened was after that initial denial period, I, I had felt like I was, I was never going to be able to laugh again. I really believed I was never going to be able to laugh again. And you know, I considered myself to be somebody with a good sense of humor and I just couldn't even laugh. And I had some nights out with my boys and, you know, and, and always come home feeling pretty miserable. But on one particular night, I came home and I had a good night. I laughed and I had fun. And I thought, okay, it, you know, I'm coming back here. Life is going to be good. And I was feeling joy as I opened the door. The light from outside sort of filtered into the across the kitchen. And I could see across the floor that, that it was festooned with garbage. There was empty cans and, and meat wrappers and kitty litter. And it was all across the floor. And the place stunk and it was horrible. And I knew exactly who the culprit was. And I went from feeling joy to feeling pure rage. And I went just bounding through the house trying to find the culprit. And then when I got into the living room, the culprit was there, curled up, comfortable on the couch. And I lifted my hand and I really was enraged and wanted to strike, but about halfway down stopped because it's not who I am. And instead of hitting my cat, I picked the cat up and the cat was cold and dead in my arms. And I fell Mm -hmm. to my knees weeping. And that moment there, realizing, hold on a second, I'm weeping for a cat that I don't even particularly like. This isn't about the cat. This is the weight weeping for my own loss of who I was. So the catalyst was actually my cat. That was the great helper, a cat that I didn't like, which is kind of apt because I didn't want to face things. So um, from there, of course, I had some wonderful therapists. And I, listen, if you're carrying some kind of horse shit about how you can't see a therapist and it's weak to ask for help, um, I got to tell you, that's your ego talking. Get over it. If you want to serve in this world, if you're here to serve, you're here to make a difference, you can only do that by sidelining your ego and looking at what's in the way. So I had some great mentors. I had some great therapists. And I worked hard on myself daily, journaled every single day, meditated every single day, read every single day. But I didn't try and do it alone. I had my friends. Yes, they're great. I had family. Yes, that was wonderful. But I had to have objective experts. I had to have my Dr. Richard. I had to have my my coaches, my therapists who could walk me through seeing what I didn't want to see, what I wanted to be in denial of. And that was incredibly helpful for me. That is so powerful. And Obviously, the work that you did over those nine months with all of those different people helped you reshape your purpose. And so once you, had, once you had that clarity, talk to us about what came next. Well, it's interesting because uh, if you'd have asked me the morning I fell, if I was on purpose, my, I would have said absolutely. You see, because you know, we talk a lot about, in my work, we talk a lot about conscious leadership. 
But if I, if you and I walk around and ask people what is conscious, uh, nobody can quite define it. Well, are you conscious? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I'm awake. <laughs> are you? I mean, you know, like the, the, in the movie Sixth Sense, the little boy says, I see dead people. They're everywhere. Well, I see people who are asleep. They're everywhere. You know, we, we're not fully awakened to ourselves. And so well, after I fell and I realized I had to find my purpose and I, and I really did that work, the interesting thing about purpose, and of course, I do a lot of that work with others and helping them to find their purpose, but you don't really know whether it's working in the world until you know. And what I mean by that is this. I was pretty certain that I was working on my purpose and I was doing it, but I, you know, again, if you'd have asked me the day before I fell, I would have said, yes, I am too. But there was a moment, and that moment was this. It was probably, it was several years later, and I just completed a three-day public training for a large group of people. And at the end of the program, people are very kind, they're very generous, and they stand and they well, thank you, and that's nice. But I also knew that I had a plexiglass shield that compliments would bounce off and not quite come in. So I trained myself to get better at it. So when somebody would say, thank you, I would say, may I ask you specifically for what? Which would make me take it in. It wasn't to push them. It was to get me to take it in. And this lady stood in front of me and she was in her early 40s, an attractive woman. And she said, uh, I wanted to thank you. And I said, may I ask you for what? And she, she took a pause. And she said, for my grandchildren. And I was like, you don't look old enough to have grandchildren. And she said, I'm not. And I said, okay, I don't understand. And she said, you see that lady over there? And I said, yes, yeah. that's my daughter. And that's her new husband over there. And they're having a baby. And I said, oh, congratulations. But I still don't understand you thanking me for your grandchildren. And she said, well, what we've learned from you about living our life's purpose has changed our relationship between myself and my daughter and my son-in-law, and it will change my relationship with my grandchildren. Mm. And it was at that moment my eyes began to leak, and I knew I was on purpose. Because for me, you know you're on purpose when you're actually working on something that will impact people whose names you will never know and who may never know your name. You're creating a ripple across generations. That's purpose. So for somebody listening to this, and what you just shared is so powerful, if somebody doesn't know their purpose, where do they start? Where do they go? What do they do? It's a great question. Because I think most people are misguided around purpose. Um, I know I was. I know very often when, when we're brought in, when I work with a high-level leader or whether we're working with a company, I'll often say, well, do you know your purpose? And they often will say yes. But what they actually understand is that they understand maybe their passion. They maybe understand their mission. Those are different things. In fact, your purpose cannot be found in your passion. And I want everybody to hear that again. Your purpose cannot be found in your passion. So where do you start? Well, uh, I have a book on it called One Red Thread. Uh, a course on it called All at Once that you can find out about on my website. However. To start, where do you start? Let me just help you with where do you start. And that is this. First of all, it's not in your passion. What I mean by that is your passion is the thing that brings you joy. Now, if you think it's your passion, let me just help you out. And I'll say, okay, if you are a male, a heterosexual male, and you can remember being 15, 
and I ask you what you're passionate about, and if that's your purpose, then you're probably working at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> <laughs> and as I know, most of us are not doing that. So that's clearly not our true purpose. It is our passion, but it's a point is that passion is transitory. It moves through us. Passion is the vehicle for purpose. It is not purpose. Do you get that, guys? I want to say it again. Passion is not purpose. Passion is the vehicle that transports your purpose. The vehicle can change and often does. The purpose does not. Your purpose is not found in your pleasure. It's not found in your passion. It's actually found in your pain. So until we're looking at the pain, until we're willing to enter into that dark cave that I spoke about earlier, we don't really find it. But most people go, I don't want to look at my pain. They go, okay, then, that, then you don't, you're not going to find your purpose. That's where you start. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. I can't help but think of the cave that Luke Skywalker went in and Empire Strikes Back and faced himself, um, not knowing it was... And that is, the, that is the model, right? We know it's... You and I both know it's Jungian, but it, it, you know, it, it's Joseph Campbell's work, right? It, it's looking into that dark cave, and, that's, and, and we know that George Lucas based that work on Campbell's work, yes. which was, you know... And, and if you remember, for, for those of us, us of us who are Star Wars geeks, um, you know, if when Yoda is sending Luke into the dark cave and Luke says, who will I find in there? Vader? And Yoda says, maybe. And when he goes in, he finds Vader because that's what he fears. He finds Vader. But in that, in that scene, when Vader's helmet is knocked off in, inside the cave, it's Luke's face that's inside. It's your own darkness that you've got to face. It's a beautifully done piece. That particular section I used to use in my workshops to show people because nobody really got that. But that's what it is. You've got to look at that dark part of yourself that you don't want to see. I love that we've trans transferred this into a talk of Star Wars. <laughs> it makes me very happy. But in all seriousness, so you know, a lot of people do. Yes. Oh, my God. We have lights and sounds and everything. Uh, <laughs> for those people that you know, have that struggle facing pain, Talk us through, and I, and I think uh, one red thread takes us down that path, but does. And I, I, I want to give people some more starting points and some more actionable steps on how they can move through this process and start aligning with purpose. Yeah, so the first thing is this. If you, if you don't want to deal with your pain, I understand that. Nobody does. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like people line up. I mean, there are certain small category of people um, who are members of a certain group of individuals, but no, most of us don't want to don't want to look at, face, or deal with pain. 
The truth of the matter is, though, let me give you a simple action step for everybody to for me to help you step into your pain. Your pain is not something to be afraid of. It's actually a guidance system. And this we know this about the nervous system. The nervous system, if you don't feel pain, you, if there are people in the world who actually have a, forgotten the name of it right now, you may know, Richard, but it's, it's a particular uh, set of systems in, set in a system where they don't have the ability to feel pain. That means that they can break a bone and, and wouldn't know, and they can die, right? So you need to know pain. Pain is a signaling process. But it's a signaling process not only physically, but psychologically. It tells you what matters to you. And in a generation, we now live with the millennials who I love, who are now, by the way, millennials are not kids. They're now 39 years old as we record this at the upper level of them. So they're not kids. They are people who want meaningful work. They want to do meaningful things. Well, meaning is found by fixing something, by being part of something that is bigger than us. So here's my actionable step to you if you don't want to look at your pain. The soft way of looking at your pain is this. Right now, take out a piece of paper or write on a screen or whatever you want to do, but I want you to write down something that pisses you off, something that upset you for as long as you can remember. And I'm not just talking about since 2016 and you're upset about the president or you're upset about somebody else that's contemporary. I'm talking about being upset about something that has bugged you for as long as you can remember. Maybe you've always been bothered about child poverty. Maybe you've always been bothered by people dying of, of things like that are simple like diabetes. I don't know. But you need to look at the thing that's bothered you for as long as you can remember. When you look at that, you'll look at it and you'll see that there's a personal connection to that. There's a reason it's bothered you that is very personal. See, I know somebody who's like, I said to them, you know, what, you know, what is the thing that's bothered you? Well, you know, they went through a whole bunch of things that were contemporary. I said, no, no, always. What's always been done? He said, well, I just think it's stupid that people die with diabetes. Like, how dumb is that? We've known about diabetes for so long. Canadians found out how to cure it. They gave their, their invention, their, their patent to the world to be free so that people could not die of, and now people dying of it for financial reasons. That's insane, right? It bothered them all along. Now, that is a very good cause and a very good purpose. But I want to know why does it matter? It matters. I mean, this is important. This is people's lives. No, I understand that. I understand the moral reasons of why it matters, but why does it matter to you? And this person said, well, my grandmother died very young because she, she had her, uh, and this person said he never met his grandmother, but she had an amputated feet, foot that went septic and she died, and the foot was amputated because she had diabetes. And it was like, so it's that personal connection to somebody that that person had never met. So the loss was that person didn't have a grandparent because of diabetes. So you look at what it is that's bothered you for as long as you can remember. And then you look at what is the personal emotional connection to that? Because human beings, as you know well, know Richard, better than most, human beings are motivated by two primary forces, pleasure and pain. Pleasure will move you short term. But pain will move you long term. 
It will keep you going day after day. It's the thing is, there's a desire to make something right in the world that you see as wrong. And that is where your purpose is embedded. That's so well stated. Adav, I want to shift and talk a little bit about All at Once, your new online Mm -hmm. digital offering. Thank you. Yeah, so All at Once addresses exactly this. It's a video course where I am there with you, walking you through the process of finding what has been this 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 ongoing force within your life that has been hidden within you. It will walk you through each of those questions. It will walk you through finding out what has been the undercurrent that has been going with you. One of the things that I find very interesting about it is how many people, I mean, so this course, without doubt, people will come back and say, I did the course because I want to find my purpose because I don't really know what my career path is. Okay, great. But oh my God, it has transformed the way I am in relationships. If I don't the person come say, you know, my relationships have been terrible and I thought that finding my purpose would actually make me more aligned with that, but I've grown a business out of it. So it's fascinating to me that when you really get your life on purpose, everything falls in line. When we go and do this work, by the way, this course is, this, is based on exactly the same material we, did, we deliver to corporations for tens of thousands of dollars for them to find their purpose. And when we go sit in that room with those executives, one of the first things I'll say is, we're going to do this work. And what I need you to know is, if this doesn't transform not only this business and not only this culture, but if this doesn't transform your home life, your relationship with your partners, with your children, with your friends, I haven't done my work. And invariably, people come back and go, I can't believe that our sales have gone through the roof. Uh, the culture is completely different, but my my relationship with my children is so much better. Mm. The way I get on with my partner is so much better. I'm having conversations with friends that I never even knew I could have with friends. So it's it's about bringing it all together. It's It's called all at once because when you tap into it, Everything shifts all at once. Everything shifts all at once. Your business, your finances, your relationships, and your connection to yourself. Because every one of us is struggling with some version of not being good enough. There's something missing. And what it is, is that there's a part of you that's been repressed. And all at once is about bringing forth the part of you that's been disenfranchised that's been pushed away, that is your most powerful part of who you are. I love that. And how can our listeners take advantage of that? If you go over to fullmontyleadership.com, there you can see the products page. And if you go in there, you'll see courses and you'll find out all about it on there. And of course, uh, in the show notes, I'm sure that Dr. Richard will post uh, a, a direct link for you to get there, and maybe you'll even get a special discount for listening to Dr. Richard. Uh, that will all be available to you. And along with it, by the way, when you sign up, we'll also give you a copy of One Red Thread for you to go through as well. So there's all kinds of great bonuses, and you'll be part of a very elite group uh, community where you'll be able to interact with other people who are also going to be part of searching for that purpose and bringing it into action. I love that. Uh, and and not to 
steal the thunder of Dove, but absolutely everything Dove Baron will be in the show notes, including the link to, to check that out. So he was right, you, on, right on the money there. Uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, I did want to spend a few moments because you were so renowned all over the world for expertise on leadership. Talk to mm-hmm. us. Just We could probably do a whole nother show on leadership, but I, I wanted to get your take on where you see leadership evolving into We've seen a lot in the media where people are talking about emotional intelligence. In fact, Gary, Gary Vee uh, recently posted this massive thing on LinkedIn with a video on how emotional intelligence is becoming one of the most critical elements of business. Where do you see business leadership moving towards in the next, say, 10 years? That's, that's a great question. I do a presentation, a corporate presentation, which is called Thriving as a Leader in the Age of AI. And it talks about uh, how we are going to survive as leaders in the age of artificial intelligence. Uh, because as artificial intelligence comes in, we the predictions are that 40% of jobs in the form that we know them will be taken over by artificial intelligence or some form of robotics. And so if you're going to lead and you're leading on your IQ, your intelligence, guess what? That can be replaced quickly, easily, and far more effectively by machine learning. So you better have something else in your back pocket. And what that means is this. If you're going to lead, you have to lead people. And getting by on your uh, tactics won't work. You actually have to develop your human skills. Now, this is the stuff that we've been teaching for 35 years and loving doing it, but that's what it is. It's understanding not only emotional intelligence, but human dynamics, which is our area. So let me just help people understand where we're going to here. Emotional intelligence has become very popular. Daniel Goleman wrote a great book on it many years ago. You know, it's been upgraded and people have done all kinds of things with it. But it's the major problem with it is still the same. And that is this, that people see emotional intelligence as something a leader should learn in order to help his or her people better. Is that true? Yes, but it's only a half-truth. Emotional intelligence starts with self-knowledge. You cannot be an emotionally intelligent leader unless you apply emotional intelligence to yourself first. You have to know what drives you, what motivates you. That's how you develop the empathy and the compassion that go along with leadership. So yes, it is vital in understanding that because here's the thing, leadership is now splitting off very strongly into two camps. And and as, as you're listening to this, you will recognize it, I'm certain. See, on one side, we have got the rise of something that was there for so long, but now it's actually coming to a pinnacle. And that is the rise of command and control, strongman leadership. We're seeing it in politics. We're seeing it, the leader of Brazil, We've seen it in the leader of the Philippines, the leader of Hungary. We saw the rise of it in France, in Germany, in the UK. It's starting to come in, in the United States. We're seeing this rise of the strongman leadership, unquestionable leadership. That's not where I personally want to go. The polarity of that on the other side is the com- complete collapsing of the hierarchy of leadership and uh, democratizing leadership, which is all, uh, which is also known as socialism inside of a leadership platform, that doesn't work either. 
What's needed is a leader who is powerful, strong, knows themselves, has done the work, and can delegate and recognize the powers of other individuals to allow everybody to be part of something far bigger than the leader. That's a form of servant leadership. Servant leadership is not passive, but it's also not dictatorial. It's deeply emotionally present, deeply emotionally available with a high level of emotional intelligence about oneself and the others. This is where we're going. And you are going to see this divide get stronger and stronger. And when we polarize, there's always the greater emergence in the middle. And the great emergence in the middle will be these highly emotionally intelligent and highly driven by purpose servant leadership. I love it. Beautifully said, and perhaps a topic for another day where we can spend a good half hour on it because it sounds I look like forward to it. we could do that for sure. So we are, we are at time, but as expected, this has been a phenomenal discussion. Dove, as you know, I like to wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question. That is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? The real, uh, the, the simplicity of it is that I would like you to find your purpose. Uh, I realize that's a big order. So what I want to say is, is this. I want you to ask yourself a set of questions and just take a moment to write these down. Number one, what's bothered me for as long as I can remember? Number two, what is it about owning my power that scares me? Number three, who will suffer if you choose not to fulfill your purpose? Somebody will suffer if you choose not to step up and not play into your greatness. I see you. I believe in your greatness. I believe you were born with deep greatness. You did not come to this planet without a reason. You did not get your dreams by accident. They are your heart and soul crying out for expression. Answer those three questions. Sit with those three questions. Meditate on these three questions. When you get the answers, go deeper and deeper and deeper. And you will reveal to yourself your soul's quest. I'm honored to have been here today to serve you. I thank you, Richard, for having me on. And if there's any way I can be of service to anybody, you can personally write to me, dove at dovebaron.com. I'm happy to help you. That's why I'm on the planet. But what I do want you to do is I want you to go to wherever you listen to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to this show. Richard takes a long time to find great guests for you and bring you great information. You need to let him know that you appreciate the show and that you're going to, that you're, what are you going to do with it? You can write to him, you can CC me, tell us what you got out of it. And again, if I can be of service to you, you can write to me personally, dove at dovebaron.com. But please make sure that you share this show with everybody you know. Thank you. Well, I, I love that. That's, uh, and I appreciate those kind words, Dove, for sure. Tell us again your, your URL where people can find you online. Thank you. Full, F-U-L, Monty, leadership.com. Full Monty, like the movie Full Monty, fullmontyleadership.com. And there's forward slash consulting, speaking, there's products, there's, there's my podcast there, there's links to over 600 articles, my YouTube channel, all kinds of great 
resources for you to tap into absolutely free. But hopefully, unlike the movie The Full Monty, no no nudity on your website there on YouTube. <laughs> Emotional nakedness. <laughs> Dove, this, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I absolutely loved our chat. Thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure and an honor to serve you and the audience. Wonderful. And again, to each and every one of you, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Like Dove said, if you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find our show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. <laughs>